Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I am Reed, aka Sick Robot, and today I'm joined by Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going, everyone? Um, and in this episode, we're going to be covering the best card in the format. Um, but actually, it's not a question. Uh, it's a statement. <laughs> the best card in the format. <laughs> what? No, no, no. It's the what the. The reading out of the clickbait in the title. Uh, <laughs> anyway. It's, it's incredulous. <laughs> question mark, exclamation point, exclamation exactly. point. Exactly. There mark, we go. Mark. You got there. One, one, um, exclamation point. But it's, we're going to be doing like a, as, as nuanced a discussion it. as is possible. What the fuck? That fuck <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, uh, so we'll get into that in a bit. Um, but uh, before that, we have some stuff to talk about, namely Vintage Cube. Yeah, been, rip cube for this for this season. It uh, just <laughs> ended, so now we can get back yeah. to recording. Yeah, get back to like my life in general. Aside from vintage, I don't know what happened this season. I uh, I don't usually get this sucked into vintage cube, but I just like I played a lot. <laughs> I think I, I, played, think I actually uh, played a lot less than I normally do. But just uh. You know what? Good for you, because yeah, I, I definitely didn't. I think I played uh, I think I played forty leagues of Vintage Cube this season. Um, it's pretty good. Or like forty drafts. I ended up with a thirteen with thirteen trophies, so it's like a one third trophy rate, which I'm pretty happy with. I didn't yeah, even go into it with the intention of tracking, but I'm like, I'm down. That's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid result. <sighs> I also okay. What's the actually? Because this is like the one time we're gonna to get to talk about this. What's the uh? What's your what's your favorite uh? What's your favorite tra- uh, draft this season for yourself? Um, man, I had a lot of fun with the sacrifice archetype. Dude, uh, red black was so fun this season. <laughs> oh my god, it, it it's hilarious how like last like the last few seasons there's been a gob- like a goblin bombardment in the cube. It like it's just been a meme to pick it like every time, and then this time around it's actually like an incredible amount of fun. And you can actually do decently well with it. I have been Jadar is a card that like really impressed me. I was like, yeah, it's mm. just like kind of an infinite two two, but like. Oh man, you put a skull clamp on that, you you get yeah. Like even even with something like a mayhem devil or a goblin bombardment, just like a two two and a ping. It was yeah, uh, like it was the, nasty the, in like, a lot of decks. The fact that like it also gives you sacks versus like like an ophiomancer doesn't give you like mayhem devil triggers on its own. Yeah, um, but like Jadar does, and also like it just clocks people right. Like it's a two mana three three <laughs> effectively, or what like a two mana three x. So if people yeah. don't have blockers, you just, like, clock them as well with it, which is, like, not yeah. that bad. I mean, obviously, if they can find blockers for a 1-1, one, one, then... Yeah, 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 two, two, it gets much worse, but... Yeah, it's a fun one. Uh, I think my favorite was either the hyper-broken blue-green deck that I drafted, or, uh, the, um... There was a... I, I drafted a, a, a black... Like, the black-green combo ball deck as well that I didn't end up I didn't end up trophying with but it was a very fun one with a you know like primeval titan dark depths Urza saga Talarian academy thespian stage strip mine and then there's like a crucible and a uh, excavator in there as well with like crop rotation and just like all this fun stuff vampire hex mage I did uh, I did have fun I beat like the perfect tinker deck it was <laughs> nice. oh my god it was so not okay 
it, it was like uh yeah so i'm in the o2 bracket so i'm already mad right and then my yep. opponent goes yep. uh workshop chromox coercive portal on the play i'm like just fit fantastic awesome. yeah just great and then Super strip happy. mines my turn one land and i was like <laughs> oh my god so yeah it was this it was like academy best. academy shops uh like a good amount of mana rocks tinker upheaval um yeah like just just the whole the like you know the portal metamorph like just all the like the really good cards to have in that deck I don't know how much they had by way of like power. Maybe that was the one thing they didn't have. But yeah, was, but like they, uh, they had all like the interlocking pieces required for yeah, the deck. Just the whole yeah. Deck. I, I, I was like, oh, I, okay. I played against the uh, in. I, I think I posted this in the uh, uh, in the cube channel. But the um, uh, I played against a deck in the O one bracket that was like Sans White Tinker, um, and I. In the O one bracket game one, I see two Moxen, a Mana Vault, a Tinker, an Ancestral Recall, and then the full twin combo. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this bullshit? What am I what am I supposed to be doing here? How did you lose? <laughs> yeah, it's uh anyway, truly wild good to stuff. see some of the decks that people like like you get in like the O one bracket. Yeah. You're just like, how did you get <laughs> yeah. here? <laughs> I was a uh, so uh, the cube actually the, so they switched curators this uh, this season from um, uh, Carmen Handy to I forget who it is but um, it is someone who was around for like the initial the initial curation of Vintage Cube and is back to it after like a few years at this point which is really cool uh and i i liked a lot of the swaps it like they sort of did like an initial swap set and then like because of some bugs and some like bug cards and interactions and stuff they uh did some swaps later on and then did like a full set of like secondary swaps like uh halfway through the season um and i was like a pretty big fan all said and done after they like had made all of them um because there was like some pretty egregious errors on the first one or like some pretty egregious swaps for the first set but it was like mostly fixed by the end yeah I, there's still a couple things that i'm like shocked they took yeah out. and there's I, there's a couple things that i'm like really annoyed they didn't put in that like yeah that, like, are, like, they're like oh we wanted to make yeah. this an archetype and we cut this awesome card for it or like and we didn't put in like the most obvious card to enable this archetype and i'm like that's uh that's an interesting choice yeah, it's, that's the decision. They also they did they did do some uh, experimentation with uh some like role players and uh some archetypes as well, which has sort of a just sort of nice. I I'm a huge fan of the Orcs Lumberjack. Like the uh the red green deck loves that card. Like you're you're a lot of the time the Applejack deck is just like you're just like playing monoliths and like ancient tombs and stuff anyway. So like having the having the dork of the archetype is like it's sort of like signposting really great. I, I think it's awesome. Well, mostly just for turn two Miskin Boos, because, like, that's sort of what you're just doing in that deck, but <laughs> I, think, I think it's great for that archetype. And then also, um, huge, massive fan of the Atraxa over the Progenitus. Oh my god, the Atraxa is so much better. <laughs> I, I just, feel like I, I, feel like so I still would have liked the Progenitus. I do like the Atraxa, maybe just over, like, a different reanimation. Like maybe over the ashen. Yeah. 
Oh, dude, Ashen Rider is so good, though. It's like, is it, it though? It problems, like, I so feel well. like it's just like the well. The it, it, it's we also like home, it's you know, it's also a, it's a role player in the sneak attack decks as well, though, right? Especially because like, like exiles, it's just, so it's just the Archon up. we have at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say though, Rip, uh, fucking, um, what's it called? Rip Tarpit. Oh my god, that one was egregious. I sort of, I sort of get like dropping some of the other mainlands, uh, but dropping Tarpit sucks. I feel like because I, that was a primary win condition for the blue black control decks. <laughs> I feel like that, that the era where that is true is over. Like, I even I when don't. it was still in, <laughs> I was not drafting Tarpit highly. Like, it's it's so not Colonnade. Uh, I I think it very much is. I think like the ability to clear walkers basically for, like for free. I mean, I guess it helps that they put is, like, they put very good. sanity back in for that deck, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ninja, the ninjas, whatever. The uh, fallen shinobi. <laughs> you you say the ninjas, whatever. I I love fallen shinobi. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I just I don't think it like. I don't think it's like a plan or like as consistent sure. a plan as the yeah. Thing. Just a lot of steps. Anyways, we should probably. <laughs> yeah, I was about. I was. I was literally just about to get us out to the actual episode because that was a. Yeah, you know, uh, our listeners have to understand that uh, we have needs. <laughs> we we got to talk about keep at some point. We're only season. human after. Yeah. All. <laughs> all right. Uh, so getting into housekeeping, we have one new patron, uh, which is Banjo Cat. Thank you for uh, becoming Yay. a patron. Um, much appreciated. Um, and you rock. Uh, and then for new developments, if you want to catch this. Yeah, uh, so we, uh, Monarch has announced, uh, LotusCon is having a big CDH tournament. Uh, it is in, uh, St. Louis, St. Louis, and, uh, it is on October 7th, that weekend. Uh, hopefully we'll be making it out with at least some of us, obviously, uh, it was only announced within the last week, and uh, you know, so no, we're ways still off, but figuring out. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully we'll be there. Hopefully you guys will be there. Hopefully, come say hi and hang out and do all that good stuff. Uh, more events is good. Also, they uh, I checked the the prize payouts for this one, and I'm very happy with the uh, the amount of flattening that they did while still maintaining like a lotus for uh, first place. Um, it's pretty great. I think it's a Lotus for first, a thousand bucks for everybody in the final pod, and then, like, you still get, like, a couple hundred for making top 16, and then you get your entry back for, like, top 40 or something like that. Or, like, a yeah, yeah, it's definitely, top uh, 30, something like that, so I'm, uh, definitely a fan. Definitely more of a flatter prize pool enjoyer. Uh, yep. I found that, uh, like, obviously having the, the like, the big ticket item for first place like you then get to like yeah put that on it's the poster. great for like yeah exactly but, like in terms of the actual value that has to people attending the tournament i think that a flatter prize structure is more likely to entice people who like want to more likely to entice people who are put off at the thought of just throwing away money yeah or and like certainly for people who are like in the area but like and can like easily make it out but like might not want to just like show up to pay like 75 bucks or whatever to like just lose that money and then go home at the end of two days um so yeah definitely definitely a fan um all right cool so we'll get into the main topic now um i guess i'll 
actually spoil it, which is that, uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the quote-unquote best card in the format, which is no specific card, and we're really going to be talking more about, like, the ways that you can evaluate cards as being the best card in the format, and how, you know, I'm not sure that there actually is an answer right now, and there's, uh, there's a bunch of different opinions, and it, like, fully depends on, like, what you value as a, as being, you know, the best, what makes a card the best. Um, so yeah, uh, disclaimer before we get into any of this is that, uh, you know, obviously you can't do any evaluation in a, in, in a full vacuum, like, everything is sort of good in relation to everything else that's happening in both the deck that you're playing it in and the format that you're playing it in, so, um, can't be super objective, but we're gonna try to, like, abstract back a bunch of this as much as possible and, uh, make it, you know, at least an interesting discussion. Um, so I guess let's get started with the first sort of the first category that we have here which is i think like probably this is probably like the most obvious one it also like contains probably two of the three cards that people would probably like list off off the top of their heads as being the best cards in the format um which is uh the best win condition um because that's it's the thing that kills you right yeah it uh <laughs> certainly well this is I think we'll get into this more, but uh, many yeah. decks are very much built around their win conditions. And so, yeah, and you know, if those don't exist, wound. then how different does the deck have to look? Uh, and if the deck looks super different, does you know, then it's a pretty good argument for the impact of uh, of that yeah. card. And obviously, like an abstract would be like obviously, like a win condition could be a zero mana instant with split second that says win the game. Um, that would so, be the best you know, card in like, the format. Just that yeah. would be the best card in the format. Um, but you know, there's a range of uh, like sanguine bond and whatever the uh, oh, what's the classic one? <laughs> Dina blood? came to mind, but exquisite blood. There we go. <laughs> I mean, d like Dina immediately came to mind. And I was just like, wait, no, not that one. <laughs> the classic. Um, but there's a, there's a wide gap between that like hypothetical and like <laughs> sanguine bond and exquisite blood. Um. So, you know, like, there's there's a range there, uh, so there's definitely a lot of stuff, like, in that range that might be considered the best thing in the format right now. Like, the obvious ones currently are Thoracle and Underworld Breach. Um, you know, there's a... I think there's arguments for both. I think both me and Morgan are probably of the opinion that Thoracle is, like, probably the, um... The better of the two, just in terms of, like, the sort of all the factors coming together of, like, its requirements of only, like, two cards and three mana it is a bit color-heavy, but that's fine. But also it's, like, resilience to a lot of forms of interaction in general in the format. Um, I mean, I think certainly it's the best win condition. Obviously, like, right. the thing about Breach is that the rest, it's like, the cards have more it, utility yeah. and Breach yeah. can be used for value and... And, and it could be, like, a one-card combo. and It can be, like, less mana-intensive and less card-intensive than Thoracle, right? Um, it can, I'm like, lead to faster wins. Really. But... I feel like it can be less mana-intensive or less card-intensive. Okay, sure. Um, um, but, but generally not both at the same time. Um, yeah, but the idea being that, like, yeah, it can be this, like, very efficient thing. Um, but obviously more vulnerable to stuff. Um, and like, more easily interactable and more easily hateable. Um, so, you know, trade-offs and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I think that, like, these are... I, I would say that, like, there's probably the big three of what people consider to be the best card in the format at the moment, or, like, 
potentially like the most bannable card in the format if that's also an axis i guess but uh that's that's sort of a separate axis i think um just in terms of like there's there's a lot of stuff that weighs into like being bannable in terms of like you know there's a pillar of the f pillarization of cards for the format like brainstorm isn't legacy where like brainstorm would probably be banned in legacy if it was like not identified as being one of the like key cards that people want to play when playing that format is like the classic uh, reasoning so don't, most don't, bannable don't doesn't get me started on this one <laughs> yeah most bannable doesn't like really equate to best card in the format but you know it's like a, it's a reasonable like starting point to start looking at it from so you know like the big three electrical like, breach and dockside i would say right now is what like most people are looking at in terms of uh if you if you ask the average cdh player uh what the card they think should be banned is it's is probably going to be one of those three um yeah and yeah two of them are win conditions um because and i mean the yeah, third like, one is it's a part of many win conditions yeah exactly like, it's, so uh, it's not listed under win conditions just because i would say that's not its primary function whereas like yeah. thoracle and breach are primarily win conditions you, you play uh, those to end the game <laughs> whereas dockside like some decks use it as a win condition but primarily it's just a, a big ritual um but yeah i mean like i think I think win conditions, like, have a good argument to be, like, I, I feel like they're the most visibly best cards in the format, right? Because it's, like, again, they're the thing that's killing you, and also it, like, you get to see them, like, or, or rather, their power is, like, very visible, if that makes sense. Um, in terms of, like, if you die on turn one to a Breach or a Thoracle or something, it's like, wow, yeah, that, that, that killed me. Um, those cards are really good together. Same thing with like the Flash for like Flash Hulk and stuff like that. Um, would have been like same thing or uh, I don't know, like Fast Bond or I guess Fast Bond isn't really good, but you know, like Time Vault would be considered like very similar. Um, yeah, I don't know. You have any uh, anything else to like list here aside from these two? I I, I sort of just put a dash here because I couldn't like couldn't really justify adding anything. I think I think in terms of but... win conditions that are in contention for being in a discussion about best, best. Card in the format. It's just those two and Dockside yeah. if we were to put it in yeah. that category. But uh, yeah, I think all the other win conditions are like frankly apart Breach is like the only win condition that can with any level of regularity be better than Oracle on like basically any axis. Yeah. Like, like it, Oracle just, it just only does it on like specific so, axes at a time. Yeah. Like Oracle's so yeah. cheap that like all of the other like all of the other win cons are yeah. easier to interact with I, I mean i guess unless you're just assuming obviously like when you cast tainted pact or demonic consultation those are instants which a lot more counter spells hit but pretty much anything that isn't hit by anything that's only hit by narrow counter spells is going to be hit by removal other than like i guess sacred guide oracle uh yeah which is that that has its own issues <laughs> yeah um so like they're generally easier to interact more mana require more deck slots like like oracle is just such an unreasonable win condition it is a uh, yeah it's uh you sort of forget because it's I, it's just like a staple of the format now where like you just like are going to see a lot of the time and I I feel like I don't know I feel like I have like a very 
hardened shell to complaints about Thoracle. Like, it, they just don't get that far with me. I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's just, it, it exists as a part of the format. <laughs> and, like, we'd have, like, abstract discussions about how unhealthy it is, but, like, in my day-to-day, like, I'm I'm not gonna, like, engage with people that are complaining about Thoracle, but, you know, you take a step back, it's like, yeah, this is, like, super unreasonably the best thing to be doing to win the game in a vast majority of situations and decks and, like, archetypes and such. Um, which I guess, like, might be also, like, an access to evaluate the, like, best cards as win conditions on, is, like, the applicability of, like, how many slots do they take up, uh, how many, like, different styles of decks can you play them in, um, which I, I think Thoracle, like, just beats out Breach, but, like, it's, it's pretty close. Well, like, certainly, there are lots of red decks that don't necessarily want Breach, and... Like, uh okay how how many good red decks are there that don't want breach is the question i guess because <laughs> like it that boils down to like exactly stacks right sure so i mean unless your take is just like stacks is bad then like... <laughs> i i wouldn't boil it down that far but i think like i think the selection of good stack stacks is certainly like smaller than the selection of decks that like red decks that just like want to play breach Sure, yeah. Um, but like yeah, breach yeah. Is, and Breach is, like, a powerful enough card that if you're not, like, pretty actively working against it with your game plan, you do want to play it. I'm not yeah, denying yeah, yeah. that. I just, like... I I think it's much harder to justify uh, not playing an Oracle Consult in, like, a deck that can play in Oracle Consult. Because yeah. it, there's just so much that... So much less that gets in the way of it. Right, like like yeah. a deck like Winota is playing like I don't know, so probably seven or eight cards that make it really obnoxious to win with Breach. Um, yeah, probably more honestly, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I guess it depends on if you count like, or how hard you count like like Thalia's and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's playing like many cards that make it obnoxious to win with Breach, whereas like. Almost no blue black decks are playing many cards that make it obnoxious to win with Thoracle because <laughs> yeah. there just aren't that many, and it's basically like rule of laws and ETB hate. Yeah, and those are just like not that common. Admittedly, not in that part, good they're in not the that common black in blue decks. black. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I would say in this category, I'd probably place uh I'd probably place Thoracle there just because of the, uh, again, the holistic view of it, of, like, Thoracle, Thoracle's power is, like, very flat. Like, Breaches is sort of, like, <laughs> I, I, I gotta, like, keep shoehorning this analogy at, like, every time <laughs> I could possibly do it, I guess. But, uh, like, Thoracle's power, like, power grading is, like, very flat, and, like, Breaches is a, is a bit spikier, where, like, it can be good at a lot of things, but it's sort of situational, and, uh, is, like, a bit more, uh bit more interactable, um, bit yeah, more, like, vulnerable. So, I, I I would probably place Thoracle above Breach here, but, uh, you know, again, very close. Um, the next category that we have here uh, is, I, I would say is, like, probably the next most common uh, style of uh, card that you would probably get, like, responses for, like, what do you think should be banned, um, which is uh, the best card to have in your opening hand. Um, these are, like, 
very obviously powerful, but I feel like they sort of get by both because of a lot of them are like spirit of the format things or just like longevity things at this point because they've just been around forever. And then also like the the power is a lot more invisible, right? Like it's it's the it's like like one of the ones that we have here is like mana crypt and there's like it makes it harder to evaluate crypt as like the best card in the format when sometimes people will like turn one go like oh like land drop crypt like tritosphere or something they're like wow tritosphere is like so fucking good and it's just like no, no the the crypt is really good it just sort of doesn't really matter what you're doing after the crypt because it's like so good yeah, I think I think crypt like crypt probably leads to the the highest proportion of like quote unquote non games. Yeah, um, and just you know, completely unreasonable starts where you just never really have a chance if someone has like crypt into good follow up on turn one. Even like crypt into okay follow up can be pretty. Yeah, I mean. Crypt Archon is, like, already just, like, incredibly obnoxious, and a lot of decks have a hard time beating it. Yeah. And, like, not even just the fast turbo stuff, but just, like, it's just crippling to have to be under one spell a turn and be under Root Maze as well, when your opponent's just, like, totally fine and has all the mana. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think, and obviously, like, Soul Ring, to a, a lesser extent, it's still insane to have the mana it gives you, and often... Crypt openers involve like playing a two mana rock off it and not doing much else, in which case Soaring is still fine. Um, but the ability the the default of having a colored mana yeah, is just insanely like, on, powerful. To cast your your follow-up is is obviously uh just opens up a whole range of possibilities that, that don't really exist with uh in the same way with a turn soaring. Yeah, or even, like, turn one Mana Vault, which, like, again, Mana Vault, same, same initial mana profit as Crypt, but, like, is expendable and doesn't give you the colored mana as well. Um, so the the other ones in here, like, I, I think, like, Crypt sort of stands out here as, like, the, uh, sort of just the fast mana piece here, or, like, the generic fast mana piece, because I don't, like, you don't get better than Crypt with, like, basically any fast mana in the format at all. Um, Crypt is just, like, better basically all the time, I think. Um, or, like, much better on average, at least. Yeah, um, for sure. I'd say, like, the other two in this category that would probably resonate with people the most are uh, Rissic Study and Mystical Mora. Um, those ones are also, like, just... Like, if we were eva if you're evaluating cards on, like... Like, how... What's what's the card that would be the absolute best to just have in your opening hand every game? I think like Mr. Romora and Rhystic Study have like decent um like decent arguments for that spot of just being like some of the best stuff in the format to just have going on. Um I think unfortunately though, like a lot of the power of Rhystic Study d does come along with the fast mana. So uh I mean I guess we can talk about that in a bit. Like yeah, I think a, a turn three, of it, but... a turn three Rhystic study is definitely not like in contention for one of the yeah. best things to be doing. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is interesting. I've certainly heard a lot of like discussions from, I would say, people who like who play a lot of turbo, or at least who play a lot of like, uh, breach consult nas, shells, sort of saying yeah. like actually the best thing to be doing is 
just trying to jam like a Rhystic Seti or a Mystic Remora super early. Just like some um, card engine, yeah. As like the as like the typical turbo plan is something people are increasingly ready for. Yeah. Uh which I mean makes sense. I I think probably like I I think these cards which is a hilarious thing to say because I think like we've both been a part of the community for long enough that like you obviously remember like the just, I, like don't feed the fish has been a meme for like much longer than either of us have been involved in the community <laughs> um like it's just a true classic and even with that being the case i feel like the power level of these cards has gone underappreciated until like relatively recently i'd say like past like i wouldn't say like past year or whatever but like past couple of years it really has felt like it's like, oh yeah, these these guys are like actually like ridiculous a lot of the time. I mean, I think yeah, when I like started really getting involved in the community, I don't think Rhystic Study was like an auto include. Yeah, Rhystic Study was not an auto include. There were a lot of blue decks that just like was, like study. It was like worse against the, like the types of decks that stuff, were yeah. popular at the time. Like, well, just like particularly, like Thrasios Tim to mid range is. Unless you're landing the Rhystic Study super early, like, you know, I just play games and, like, you know, we've seen this several times where, like, yeah, I wind up just paying 10, 12 yeah. mana for, like, for Rhystic Study triggers over the course of a game. And that's, like, fine in the sort of game that, that those decks wanted to be playing. Um, yeah. And, like, I've certainly seen people who kept Rhystic Study as, like, a plan you know, it's like, oh, my hand has nothing, but I have this early Rhystic study, and then everyone went, cool, we'll just pay for that, and then just they pay go, for like, it. Yep. it's like, they're five turns in, and they've drawn, like, two cards, and they're like, uh, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> this wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> I, was I love my I was delayed action cards. divination. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, uh, I, I think they do have arguments for being, like, some of the best stuff to have going on. I think, like, if, if you were to have a card in your hand, in your opening hand, like, every game, and try to take it as much in a vacuum as possible, Rhystic Study is, pro or, sorry, Mystic Remora is probably the better one, just in terms of, like, you're almost, like, if in the right pods and right situations, you're, like, always getting cards off of it, whereas, like, Rhystic Study, yeah, like we just said, it's sort of, like, it's not the most reliable engine, um, especially the later it comes down. Um, like, Remora is almost always going to be, like, good, even if you, like, don't play it turn one, and you play it, like, turn four or whatever. Like, you're usually still going to be drawing cards off of it at a fairly good rate. Um, yeah, because but, it, yeah. like, it's just, it's not really practical for people to pay for Remora in the way that yeah. a, a Rhystic Study that's too late, they definitely can. It also just, like, sticks around for like as long as Rhystic Study functionally in the later portions of the game, right? <laughs> like Yeah, when you when you drop yeah, like, a, it, a Remora it on like turn four and you have six mana. Like, yeah. That Remora is gonna be it's gonna it's it, you're paying for it until the end of the game almost always, unless you like yeah. really brick on mana or have something super mana intensive to be doing. Yeah, I just, like I need to make this win attempt with three pieces of backup and a granite altar. <laughs> like, okay, bye Remora. <laughs> we'll we'll do this later. Um and then I, I put one here as well um, in this category because I think it, like, it is, I, I think it deserves to be mentioned in, like, cards to have in your opening hand, although, like, certainly deck-dependent, which is Jeweled Lotus. Um, I, Jeweled Lotus is, like, I think the one piece of fast mana in the format that can rival Crypt a lot of the time. 
um, depending on what you're doing with it. It's I think just the, like... the problem is is that in order for what you're doing with it to rival Crypt, uh, you have to be playing a deck that's bad when you don't have one of those. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fair. Like, yeah, turn one Grand Arbiter. Kind of really dumb. Uh, but you're playing Grand Arbiter. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, yeah. There, there is some like really busted stuff to be doing to be doing with it that like is isn't good decks. Like a turn one Tavash is pretty great and like tends to be pretty backbreaking a lot of the time. Although like not as interactive as a Grand Arbiter, but uh, but like yeah, I, like I maybe we haven't even seen necessarily the uh the cap of how good Jewel Lotus can be in terms of like commanders being printed. Like that's a pretty cursed sentence to say, but you know, like I think. Maybe if it's not now, I think it certainly is, like, one of the few cards in the format that has the potential to be there. I certainly think that, opinion. like, given that Tavesh can't even be cast turn one off a land and a Jeweled Lotus, like, trying to evaluate that impact compared to something like a turn one, like, Ristic Study. Crypt, sure. Or, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, turn one right. Crypt Ristic Study is, like, way better than turn one Tavesh, and Jeweled yeah. Lotus doesn't even get you to turn one Tavesh on its own. Right. Fair. Yeah, it makes sense. Just wanted to throw that one out there. Do you have anything else for uh, any other contenders for best card in the opening hand? I mean, uh, obviously, Dockside fits in this one as well. Um, but we're, we have Dockside in different categories still. So hold hold your horses, listeners. Um, I not I guess not really. Like obviously, I have a bunch of you know, ideas, but they're all generally like relatively meta dependent. Um, right. There's what like, do you think, like a, yeah. Well, like obviously, like carpet is one that can have an incredibly high, uh, floor. Uh, sure ceiling, yeah. Um, and like in well, high high ceiling, but yeah. Sorry, yeah. They yeah, can have yeah. like a super high ceiling, very low floor. Low the floor yeah. is it does nothing. Um, well, but... the the no 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 hold up the floor is that you don't have to play against a blue deck in the pod, which is also very nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, obviously, can have a very high 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 ceiling but you know it's much less sort of consistently incredible um and then like sometimes i mean draneth is like one that i have certainly yeah like, if you fair. can get draneth down before anyone plays their commander oftentimes that is incredibly strong it, it is just like like the it, game it does a lot of the again time, depend yeah. a bit on the commanders you're playing against um where like some decks don't really care about their commanders or have like a, a reasonable game plan that they're probably going for, or like are just going to get their commanders down. Like, you know, the odds that you can stop Rograk from landing with, with yeah. Draneth are, it can happen, but it's very low. Um, and like to a lesser extent, Lavinia can be in that category of like mm. turn one Lavinia on the play is just, you know, a, a good middle finger. I mean, um, if you if you could guarantee having a root maze in your running hand every game, I feel like that would be like pretty great as well. The you problem just, is, like, is that it's hard to like around, play turn always one. Having it. I feel like really, I don't, I don't know. Like if you build a deck under the idea that you're always going to have a turn one root maze, like I feel like a lot of the awkwardness from or like it's hard to play turn one like, when you're like later that... in the turn order. Sure, because okay, like if anyone fair. does anything, then your root maze yeah, looks yeah, real yeah. silly. Yep. 
But yeah, I, I wouldn't put any of those quite on the same power level. I think Dranith is probably the closest in terms of... I think... Like, it has it has yeah. much closer to the consistency of something like a Mana Crypt than, than the other cards I named. Yeah. I think, uh, I think an interesting one to think about as well here that I just, like, just came to me is that, uh, like, potentially just, like, always having a vamp tutor in your opening hand could be, like, pretty good. Um, obviously, like, you would take a crypt over having a vamp in your opening hand, like, a vast majority of the time, I think. But, like, having, just, like, always having the ability to go get whatever you need out of your deck, uh, for one mana seems, like, pretty good to me. Yeah. Um, like, like and I, certainly I think there's the, the flexibility of, like, yeah just passing turn one holding the mana and then vamping is exactly and you just like just like always having a tutor in your opening hand would be a, like a pretty great pretty great thing to have going on there um like less on a raw power level but like you know you can adapt more um to what the rest of the table's doing um but yeah i i i'd say yeah, it could be probably yeah it's a, the truth suck oh that's why remora is worse than study right it's also why uh, Sol Ring's worse than Mana Crypt. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, what are they printing? Like a Nick like, what step. If mana, what if what if Misstep could also just counter zero costs? <laughs> yeah, met, mental Nick step. <laughs> um, no, 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 not not spells that where no mana was spent to cast them. Zero, CMC. <laughs> zero CMC. Like obviously, obviously very, counter. Very like, important distinction. <laughs> Nick plus mental Misstep on one card would be insane. But, like, just countering zero drops, I actually feel like is only, like, it feels like a very fair thing Well, okay. Like, zero drops are just unfair, right? Like, there there are zero fair zero drops. Yes. Uh, Chalice the Void. Um, but... That's not a fair card. (laughs) Um, here's the, here's the question. How much would Nick's staple to uh, Mental Misstep have to cost, to be fair? What do you mean? Or to be, like, not broken. Like, you staple... Like, you put a Nyx and a Mental Misstep, so you can counter anything that either one mana or zero mana was spent to cast. Uh, how much does this have to cost? I? Is it just uh, a blue? I think it could just be a blue. Yeah? Maybe I, it would have like, to be, like, a Phyrexian. That's, like, way too good for... It's, like, way too good for... Uh, for legacy, I think, but uh, for in terms of CDH, I think it's like a, I think it would be a very good card at blue. Um, but I guess maybe you just have to make it. Well, no, because it costs blue, so it like it avoids the mental misstep problem of like people play misstep to counter other people's misstep. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't know, like minor misstep is not. I don't think a good card. Obviously, it doesn't. Yeah, it's fair. Like force of will, force but... of will, which is the big one, right? Like force SWAT. Rolic, etc. Well, I mean, you were saying legacy. You don't have to worry about those in legacy. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, fair. I I think it would be very strong at one, but I don't think it would be a problem. Sure. Just wanted to get a quiz in there real quick. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I I would say I I would say crypt is probably uh, top of the pile in terms of this category. Um. In my Definitely personal opinion, opinion, just the the mana is just too good, too flexible. Um, so this is what I was sort of uh, the, the next category here is like it, this is a loose one for me, but uh, it was sort of what we were talking about earlier with um uh, the rustic study problem of like it it matters if you can get it down soon, like soon enough, but it like very rapidly drops off if you like 
if you're like if you have a risk set in your opening hand and you're only casting a turn three turn four it's a lot worse um so sort of what i wanted to talk about in this category was uh enablers versus payoffs because it is like a real discussion to be had of like do you evaluate the things that make the broken stuff possible but aren't really the things that actually make broken things happen if that makes sense so like a crypt is an enabler a crypt a mana crypt doesn't do anything on its own but it lets you do like broken stuff as soon as you have like other spells to cast because you just get to do stuff ahead of the curve um and like obviously the things that you have to be doing off of the crypt have to be like above a certain level of brokenness because if you're casting three mana two twos off of a mana crypt well like a lot of the time you can just get like clocked for that if you don't have like good follow-ups um, black lotus grave <laughs> hell yeah um and then yeah like obviously like payoffs are things that do broken stuff but like again like talking about risk study a lot of the time there are really good payoffs that are broken in the context of a format that like aren't necessarily that good without their enablers or taken outside of the context of that format um so like blood moon very powerful card in legacy um but it's a powerful card in legacy because you can cast it on turn one with some degree of consistency and the rest of the decks in the format are all like four and three color for the most part all um, right Rhea, or, i think you've, you've buttered everyone up you, you're just gonna have to rip the band-aid off and say what you're <laughs> yeah thinking. uh so i think that fetch lands have uh have an argument to be called some of the best stuff in the format um i've had this opinion for a long time we interrupt into the north to bring you <laughs> read rants about fetch lands for the fifth time um i i've had i've had this opinion for a long time i think fetch lands are like just way too good for the format and obviously like i think they're way too good for like i, I think they've eternally ruined eternal formats just because like they're way too much fun to play with and you get an entire like sect of people addicted to playing with fetch lands once they're legal for in a format for any period of time because everybody likes having perfect mana all the time and having like additional stuff to be doing in your mana base is really fun when it's on your side of the table and it's like sort of hard to notice it happening when it's on the other side of the table because it's just like oh yeah just like we're all playing with perfect mana this is great um i I don't think that's super healthy for CDH. I think that, like, I, I think Fetchlands do a large, like, the largest amount of pull for, like, actually letting people be able to cast their spells for five color and, like, greedy mana bases and, like, cast, like, a bunch of double pipped stuff all in a row. Um, I, I think Fetchlands, sort of grouping them all together, obviously, because, you know, they're, they're the fetches. They're, they're sort of one card, basically. Um, I, I think there is an argument to call fetches, like, Maybe not the best card in the format, but like yeah, it's, I think it's up there. I think they're up there. We get it. You hate fetches. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I don't yeah, endorse I, this I, take. <laughs> I think I think there is like there is a discussion to be had though about like people's personal values of what they value as like being the good card, and obviously like there can be bleed over. You don't you don't have to like lock yourself into just only being like yeah i think the enablers are the things that are the best cards in the format or i think the payoffs are the best things like in the format but you know i think people have different values in terms of if they think the enablers are like obviously the best things to be doing and like potentially the things they want to ban or if like the payoffs are the things that like they think are the absolute best cards and they think like might need to eat a ban or whatever um like a classic example of this is the popper format right where like the popper sort of ban list has like a very like inverted 
way of talking of like thinking about like how you would normally ban cards in terms of like they for the most part have like all of the enablers legal and just sort of banned all the payoffs where that's not necessarily the case in pretty much every other format um and it i mean it works pretty well there they have like broken formats every once in a while in popper but you know it's it's relatively healthy for the most part so i i think there's a discussion to be had there and i think it's sort of interesting Okay. Thoughts? <laughs> I'm, I don't think I'm getting on board this train. I'm sorry. No? Not at all? All right. We, uh, we I think, I think like, it's something in terms of the enablers, first of all, like, we have mana rocks that fix incredibly well. We have rainbow lands. Like, obviously they help. I'm not, like, it'd be stupid to say that they don't, but... I oh, think... sure. if we're talking about fetches, sure, I understand. I was more just like, if if you had things to talk about in terms of enablers versus payoffs and, like, which one of those you categorize as, like, being the best cards in general. I, I, think... I, I understand if you don't okay, want to talk sure. fetches. <laughs> okay. I guess on, on that front, I think that um, they've done a... I think that the enablers... I think the payoffs are... sort of have the potential to be the better cards but they've done they like sort of realized early on that that was true that like a card that actually just wins the game really easily is a dangerous card to print right and very early on they made a lot of mistakes with cards that let you like get too many resources too quickly but don't themselves actually present a threat to opponents right like if we look at yeah. the power nine, they're all It's all enablers. things that don't actually end the game. Yeah. yeah, they don't do anything on their own. Like, it's just, well, oh. I mean, if, if you have a deck full of ancestral recalls and black lotuses, that will kill an opponent. But anyway. <laughs> will it? Yeah. I'm pretty sure somebody did the math and you do like a two-thirds split of lotuses and recalls and you like draw your deck and then deck your opponent. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I yeah, I would. guess it would not. Kill. Yeah. Not Wait, worth talking about. Wouldn't you want three? You'd want three recalls per Lotus, right? But anyways, um, yeah. Maybe like a few more it's, Lotuses. It's, just it's to, better to have access Lotuses though, just so yeah. you like don't fizzle. Do like much. seventeen anyway. and forty-three or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't mean to get us off on this. Sure, they, they don't like really do anything on their own. Yeah. And, like, they made a huge number of mistakes like that. And, like, they haven't printed... I mean, like, I think Oracle was, like, the biggest mistake. Oracle and Breach are, like, some of the biggest mistakes that they've printed. But even they In have, like... Design history, yeah. They're kind of only mistakes because of a context that, like... There are these other cards that enable them super well that they didn't really think about. Um, so, like... Yeah, I definitely, I fall on the side of, I think they've made more mistakes with enablers, but I think payoffs, in theory, have, like, the higher ceiling. Right. Especially if they're still good at their rate of just being cast. Because, um, like, I think yeah. a lot of the stuff in, a lot of the payoffs in CDH are, like, great payoffs under the context of being able to cast them ahead of time and also under the context of, like, having a bunch of stuff in your deck that works well with them or, like, other contexts. Uh, but I think there are, like, there are definitely payoffs that are just, like, good on their own and good, like, 
on curve. You don't need to like accelerate into them for them to be great. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe not so much in CDH, but like you know, stuff like Oko doesn't need an enabler. It's just a. It's just a payoff that kills people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, cool. Do you want to get the first part of the next one? Yeah. So the the next one is uh you know a way you could sort of think about like what's the best card in a format is like what's the most centralizing card. So what what are the cards that uh are doing you know are doing the most in like shaping how the format is played or uh the ones that are you know these are going to be things that you're like most often tutoring for or building your decks around um or that are having that justify the most influence on deck building um would be contenders for the best card so we have a right. few here the first one uh is is Timna. Reed, I Turns know. out I feel four like colors four detective. colors for free. <laughs> and uh just having a triple fraxian arena in the command zone is pretty good. Um I think this one's less about like building a deck around Timna, because it, it, it building around Timna doesn't really have to happen for it to be good. Um you just like play some good creatures because there are good creatures in every color. Like there's some number of good playable creatures in like every color combination um and then especially just the ones that play. include white black by default yeah yeah <laughs> um and then you also just like you know get to play four colors uh which you know five colors is obviously the gold standard but um if i can have uh four of the colors and also have a commander that is just fucking stupid <laughs> then i'm gonna do that a large percentage of the time um I, I think personally, like, my my pick for best commander in the format by far is Timna. Um, I've had this opinion as well for a fairly long time. Um, I think, uh, yeah, Timna just, like, does way too much. Uh, and, a, I mean, a lot of the power level is invisible, but you play with people who are getting to CDH a couple of times. And uh, I feel like people tend to notice relatively quickly that, like, they play these games where, uh, oh, like, there's some interaction. And I guess we're all just grinding down. And they look over and the Timna players sitting there with eight cards in hand. And they're like, I, how? Well, I I have two cards in hand. Why do you get to have all of them? And Tim yeah. is like, well, See, I, you know, I, I'm playing a commander. I feel like things. people don't notice until they either play Tim to themselves or make a point of asking how many cards people have in hand. Yeah. Because, like, it's yeah. so quiet. You're just like, oh, Tim to trigger? <laughs> yep. People are like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then, yeah, yeah that happened so many times where, like, <laughs> I got two cards. I got three cards. Oh, I have six. And you're like, wait. <laughs> like, wait, what? Like, you we, have, like, you just went, as much. You went, one, you went for one with everybody else. Like, we all interacted this game. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, like, a really good illustration of this was uh, before Commander Legends, uh, people built three color decks with Timna. Like they yeah. they had another two color partner that overlapped one with Timna. And uh of like all of the white black X color combinations, they were just like Tim there was like Xur and then Timna decks. And yeah. like the, no other partner has like had that and Timna was pushing out like basically all most of the commander options in those three color combinations. Just, just anything that was in black, white, X was even like theoretically like giving up, you know, 25% of the power of Timna in that you're yeah. giving up 
one of your four colors for no reason it was still good enough to like push out actual three color commanders yeah and honestly i i think you talked to zur i think a lot of people at the time would probably still have considered timna ishai to be better than zur <laughs> what about timna silas <laughs> um yeah Anyway, that's my. T- I, I'm I'm not going to subject our viewers to a ten minute rant every episode, but I'll uh, yeah, I'll just I'll most episodes over the course of the year. Yeah, just most of them. We do have a brand to uphold. <laughs> Look, our logo hey, my, is my, white and black. My personal, my, <laughs> my personal brand is hating Timna. Well, maybe not hating Timna. Just you know, I would love, say love hating Timna Timna. correctly. Yeah, there's a you you love and hate there. Timna the way Lyndon loves and hates Golos. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we actually get to talk about the card that we've been sort of talking about for the entire podcast. Um, I think you probably have more to say on Dockside. <laughs> Do I? Okay. Uh, uh sure. Yeah. Dockside, I think is, um, this is a card that plays very differently in a lot of different games and makes it kind of hard to evaluate, but, um, it's very rare that we've seen something like win cons that rely on your opponents doing things are incredibly risky to play in this format with a huge amount of variance and the fact that dockside based win cons are still widely viable is like a huge testament to just how insane this card is how easily it can go infinite how like effective it is to be playing it even when it's not um like we play in probably one of the most dockside hostile metas anywhere and like it's still an insane card in most games yeah um Obviously, sometimes there is, like, if there's a collector who can play, then I guess it's not an insane card. I, I, so, I mean, I've, I've, we've definitely played games as well where there's, like, no oof, and then somebody casts a Dockside on turn five or whatever, and it's just like, yeah, Dockside counts three. You, you cast a Peretic Ritual. Well, but, like, that's still way better than a Peretic Ritual. It's still way better than a Peretic Ritual, though, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I'm not saying it's perfect every game, but, like, even with, like the grindiest greenest meta you can think of we like dockside is still a very strong card even in that meta um and for a card that relies on your opponents doing something to make it good i think that's like kind of speaks volumes because if you think about like all of the other like you know I talked about carpet and i was like yeah well you know sometimes they're just like aren't islands or there's like one two islands and yeah. it's like it's good but it's not great um whereas like dockside i feel like the inflection point is like so low right it's like a dockside that makes four treasures is like like they couldn't just print a two mana card that made four treasures like that yeah that no. would be <laughs> absurd just like a two mana sorcerer that made four treasures would be like the dumbest card ever yeah, not the dumbest card ever, but they would never print that. It, card. it would be, yeah, it would like that. That that's getting to the level of, and that's like such a low bar to clear. Area. And it's like, yeah, that's just like so much of what Dockside is every time. And uh, that's like not even getting into when it makes like twelve treasures and actually just like 
lets you yeah. completely go off from like what appeared to be a non-threatening position. Yeah, you have like three cards in hand. It's like okay, I'll cast this dockside, and then I'll just do whatever the fuck I want for the next. I'll five, cast like, cure. Next, like, oh, you're countering minutes. it. I'll respond with this ad nausea. But yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think Dockside is probably, uh, I think Dockside probably out of, like, any of the cards on this list right now, like, I would say probably has, a an argument for, like, best thing in the format, um, sort of, irrespective of any of these categories or any, um, sort of evaluations of it, um, just because of the context of, like, just decks play a lot of artifacts and enchantments, um, like, obviously there are, there are, theoretical situations where Dockside is, like, not a good card, but it just isn't in any of those situations so much of the time. Yeah, I think it it's, like, at the inflection point of, like, it can be the best win condition, which is, or, like, it can be a contender for the best win condition, yeah. or at least, like, a very strong win condition, while also being an incredibly powerful card in many other contexts that... Yeah. Basically, no other card on this list really has. Like, Breach is the closest. Yeah. But, like, Value Breach is... Like, obviously, Value Breach is good. But it's not, like, a particularly common thing. And, like, very few decks are playing Breach with the expectation that they're just going to be doing it for value with any regularity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the last one on the list is... Uh... Good old classic ad nauseum. Um, yeah, it's a uh, this one's been known what for a long this, time. Twenty eighteen. <laughs> um, ad nauseum is a, a very good card. It uh, you know, it you. I, I don't know what there is to say about it. I I feel like all of the possible discussion that has ever had or ever could be had about ad nauseum has already been had. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's ad nauseum. <laughs> you you build your deck around it to like a modicum of degree. Um, don't play things that actively stop you from storming off, uh, and then you play an ad nauseum and usually win. Well, so here, if an eight mana sorcery that wins the game is ban worthy, then a five mana instant that wins, instant the, game. That wins the game. Yeah, it's just a. Uh, I think uh yeah I I think ad nauseum probably is the most centralizing card on this list. It's probably, like, the highest generic... It's probably, like, the highest generic power level card that is also, like, very centralizing in the format. Um, just because, like, you do have to build around it to a degree, for the most part. Um, but it is also just, like, an incredible payoff for what you get. Yeah. And, and like, admittedly, I think the... As more enablers have been printed into the format, I yeah. I wouldn't say the amount you have to build around it has decreased, but the amount you have to not not build around it, or the amount you have to <laughs> yeah yeah the amount you have to not not build around it has like decreased, I guess yeah. Um, you just where, like the where, average like, deck is just a better Nas deck these days, even if it's not on Nas. Yeah, like it used to be that, like people worked really hard to get their average CMCs yeah, down. When the farm came out, it was like oh, high it's like tide, one point six whatever, so that we can Nas like instead of only seeing like twenty cards, we'll see like twenty six, 
and hopefully that can find us the fast mana to win same turn where now it's like yeah whatever i'll just see 20 cards and then i'll find some way to get like dockside and then i'll just go from there yeah. um so you like the avoidance of putting like chonkier stuff in your nas decks has definitely like hugely decreased with time i don't know what you're talking about i've always played protein all my nas decks <laughs> um i mean yeah okay let's you played Nas in your Protean Hulk deck. Let's get one thing straight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Veralz blurs that line a bit. It does not. It's very much a Hulk deck. Um, I think uh, I think there was probably a point in time where a large section of the community would have called Asnazi in the best card in the format. Um, I'm not sure that I ever would have agreed with that. Um, again, like Crypt has been legal for the same amount of time that Asnaz has been. Um, and it is... I still think probably the better card than Nas, um, just because, you know, it just, the, the variety of things that you can do with Krypton is just, like, always good if you're building your deck in a powerful manner. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think Nas still is sort of holding on, although there are people that are trying to cut it now from decks because they just want to be mid-range and kill people with Dockside and Breach instead of having to tutor for a five-minute instant because apparently that bar is too high to cross now. <laughs> I mean, I think it does... Well, honestly, I feel like what... <laughs> the problem with a lot of these decks is that they they just... They're... It's it's almost like a mindset thing where people are locked into Ad Nauseam as like, I cast it in my main phase, main phase as a win con yeah. to win the game. Um, yeah. And like, they're playing a man deck and that's not historically how man decks have worked. Like, I think yeah. it's entirely reasonable to build, like, the Nauseless Timnacrum mid-range deck and then just put then a Nauz in, in it and sometimes <laughs> yeah. use it to draw 10 cards in the end step and yeah. probably win the game or, like, generate an insurmountable advantage. But yeah. I think people uh... don't want, to, or, like, don't think of the card that way. So then they, like, when they draw Nas, they're, like, planning their game around how can I play this Nas and then win the game and it definitely doesn't have to be played that way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it is effective when done so, but uh, yeah. I think uh, it's taken a bit, but I think we're getting back around to that. It's like the, uh, I forget what the year, what year it was, but uh, the year where uh, Dockside was like, <laughs> the, the year that people discovered that you didn't have to do just infinite Dockside stuff. <laughs> you could just, like, play Dockside as a really big ritual and then, like, flicker it once and then be off to the races or whatever. <laughs> Um, look at all, Man, like, I, to a I'm like people are evaluating like other cards here with like a bit more depth, a bit more. I feel nuance. like I'm like the dot flickering dock side is like I I've never understood like the length people will go. <laughs> Except in like I, I would like, say in like exactly Corvold, where just dock side is like is the win condition is yeah. the, is basically the win condition like it's such a narrow band where one dock side is not good not enough good but enough. multiple dock sides yeah. are yeah like just bouncing your own dock side and playing it again for like three mana if your dock side made like four treasures then like woo, that's plus one mana if it made five i guess that's plus two maybe that's decent if it made six how is that not enough <laughs> right <laughs> oh you know sometimes you need to Again, cast a peer and then respond with a Nas. I guess. 
<laughs> just gonna get there sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, th I mean, those were like the main ones that we had for uh, centralizing cars. I'm sure you could probably come up with uh, a few more, but um, I don't know. Like, maybe like tan pack and console fit in this category, but I think those are probably a pretty clear step below a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, maybe excluding Fetchlands for Morgan. Um, I mean, I feel like it also, it, it does kind of make it harder to put them on the list just because there's two of them. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, be, because I think they're, like, less powerful than the cards on this list. They're extremely centralizing, but they're not individually centralizing. Right. Like, they're centralizing in context. Yeah. Um, and like, and like, very more heavily con in like contextual than any of the stuff that we have on the centralizing card list right now. Where like, Timno Dogside and Adnaz, if you assume the default of the CDH format, are all like powerful cards on their own. Like, Tan Pact and Consult require both building around and like other stuff to actually like make them good. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to say about centralizing cards here. I think it was a pretty good one. Um, I guess not specifically. I, I I guess sort of the next the next topic. I feel like yeah, kind of yeah, fits in with most centralizing card. I considered sure. combining them. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's just sort of what's like doing the most for a deck or an archetype. Um, and I had to, but I've decided that only one of them is really worth talking about because I don't feel like <laughs> getting laughed at for the other one. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I put Winona, right? Like, um, yeah. just that deck, that deck is a very strong deck. I'm not, I don't put it in like the top echelon of the format. Many people do. And yeah, like without Winona, that deck too, I would say. literally is like unplayable garbage. Yep. So, like, and I don't think, like, I think even, you know, I think at a certain point in the past, I said that, like, the deck that does the most, or the commander does the most for its deck is Yisan. I mm. think that just, like, the generic green stuff, like, creature toolboxy green stuff, yeah, is better than Boros stacks. Yeah, 100%. And... Like, without a commander. And, yeah. like, certainly Winota is a hell of a lot better than Yisan as a deck. Yeah. So, just the the insane jump that Winota provides to that one deck is, this like, is an actually, argument yeah. for being the best card in the format. So, this is uh, this is the category for the... Uh, it's the wins above replacement category, the war category. Yeah, basically. Four plus. Where it's just, like, what's the, what, what's the difference in a deck uh, between the deck having this card and the deck having, like, the next best replacement for the card? Um, and, yeah, I, I think Winota definitely represents, like, probably the peak of that category in general. I think, like, another one is, like, I think Kinnon is decent in terms of, like, the... Um, power that it offers to the deck and it like offers a very different axis of uh what the deck's doing um compared i to mean just, like i don't know green, i feel like mid -range, i guess it depends on what... green blue mid-range has like just a much higher floor than, than like uh boros in general so it's like hard to argue for kid over winota but i think it also like deserves a mention in the war category i mean i don't know i think that like depending on how exactly you class it I think, like, sure. a big mana slash infinite mana blue-green deck, like, like I think Thrasios Kaidel is still, like, a deck that would 
play in many ways very similarly to Kinnan and be like like I, I honestly think that deck sure. is like it would be okay Fine. it wouldn't be great yeah I don't it's, think it, Kinnan's yeah. I, I, great, but I think it would be <laughs> just so, so much better than, like, the next best Boros Stacks commander, right. and I think Kinnan is probably, well, maybe Kinnan's about on par with Winota as a deck. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say certainly, like, power level-wise, they're, like, pretty similar, I'd say, objectively. Like, or sort of, like, in terms of, not, object, not objectively ranking them, but in terms of, like, just like straight up power level uh, on either end i think they're like pretty close um yeah i don't know there's probably like a couple of other that we could pull out of the ether here but nothing's coming to me like off the top of my head um anyway yeah um and then uh we have our last category here uh which is uh i think something that people don't really talk about a huge amount we like I, we've definitely had a few discussions with uh people about this both like together with people and then like uh, individually i think um but I, th I think it's always worth like bringing up um which is the win rate uh like the win rate increase or you win rate with a card uh in like a certain set of different situations um so the ones that morgan put down here are like uh when you draw a card what's your win rate when you actually like cast the card and put it on the stack what's your win rate when you do that with a card and then like what's your win rate when you actually like fully resolve the spell and it like leaves the stack um because those are like very different criteria um and it like totally changes how you're evaluating a card as like a good card or the best card yeah i think it's a it's sort of an interesting discussion i've definitely done a lot of this analysis um when uh, I played semi-competitive Hearthstone because, like, they had a data-gathering program that had, like, millions of games, and so you could look at decks and really see, like, oh, the, you know, these are, like, the best cards in the deck because, you know, they have, like, a 60% drawn win rate. Um, yeah. And, like, I remember people people would look at played win rate, and there were a bunch that were, like, like, finishers have insane played win rates. Yeah. Right? Like... Because the game is already over by the Because the game is just like, ah, <laughs> yeah. yes. The number of times you win the game when you cast Thassa's Oracle is very, it's very, <laughs> yep. very high. Because you don't cast it if you're not, like, trying to win the game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, looking at, like, the drawn win rate and the, the win rate in the opener uh, was, like, very eye-opening. And I think it's... Uh, I think there's, like sort of arguments for uh i think the weakest argument out of these categories is uh is for arguing uh like the best card based on win rate when resolved um yeah because it's just sort of like it's just gold fishing like what's the because like the highest there the would rate of carbon be like yeah yeah uh probably pure or like maybe maybe something like a little more out there like tooth and nail um yeah but like also. obviously these are not i think like yeah <laughs> there's a sort of a uh i forget the term but you know when 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 your principle comes to like an obviously i guess it's sort of a reductio ad absurdum like the, that if you're saying pure is the best card in the format like you you've gone wrong somewhere <laughs> yeah, uh, <there's... laughs> you've, you've made a mistake 
I don't know where you went wrong, but we know that you uh, you took a bad path somewhere. Yeah, I think I think cast is like a little more interesting because, uh, obviously, it does still factor in. Like, effectively, the problem with resolved is that it doesn't factor in the interactability. I guess yeah, the problem with yeah. cast is that it doesn't factor in the cost. Um, yeah. So, like, so a it's, very it's, expensive good card would be a... Yeah, it's obviously going to, like, overvalue high-priced finishers. Splashy or, like, effect, solo yeah. finishers. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, like, like a, a more yeah. reasonable... I think it's a much more reasonable thing to be, like, looking at just because... At the very least, uh, it, like the, I think there's a certain school of thought that like, if you if you don't want your best cards to be enablers, you want them to be payoffs because like that's just sort of how you think about it. Like, you think the thing that's winning you the game is the good card, not like what got you there, which. I don't necessarily agree with, but I sort of see as a I, I understand approach, why, yeah. Then maybe looking at cast would be like a little bit more where you'd want to be because uh like when you're looking at drawn, obviously that's going to like cards are actually only good when you cast them. So if you Turns look at out. drawn, like cheap it cards are obviously gonna card. dominate. <laughs> yeah. Because the like if a card is only good when you cast it and you don't cast it every time you draw it, then like that's a huge penalty to the win rate yeah. right there. Um, so like it's gonna overvalue the the cheap cards, but cast is gonna overvalue sort of the more expensive cards. Uh, there's not necessarily a good way to sort of solve that. Yeah, you would probably want some form of a composite model on. I I'd, I'd probably say like drawn and cast. Um to get, like, decent results there. Or at least just, like, taking a look at both of those stats for uh, cards if you're trying to evaluate this for yourself. Um, I also threw another one in here, which uh, is not usually as much looked at, and I wouldn't say is as useful as drawn or cast, uh, but I think something to take into account is uh, the win rate when tutored for. Because um, this really weighs for, like, cards that you like, didn't have in your opening hand, uh, and, um, like, didn't necessarily, uh, or, like, didn't, like, naturally find, but you actively have, like, cards in your deck that are dedicated to finding other cards in your deck specifically, and if your win rate after you tutor a card is relatively high, um, then, like, that means that you're, like, it, it's, means that it's going to be a very situationally good card, um, which potentially means, like, best card in the format, or potentially just means that it's, like, a silver bullet that you just have in the deck, and if, like, the drawn percentage is really low and the tutored percentage is really high, it means that it's just, like, oh, this is, like, a card that is, like, almost never good, but when it is, uh, you really want access to it. Um, but it's just, like, sort of another access to, you know, evaluating, like, how good you think a card is. Especially because, like, if, uh, if the like, tutored, if you're, like, win rate when tutored is very low, but you have high stats in other areas, it could also be interesting and mean, like, a lot of different things as well. I'm I'm having trouble coming up with an example for that case, but I'm sure it exists. Yeah, I don't have a good one off the top of my head, but certainly, 
uh, I guess just like command tower. <laughs> very right. very high like when you have a command tower. Command like, tower yeah, but... Something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very, uh, very good drawn win rate, but a terrible tutored win rate. <laughs> Containment uh, priest. Um, back when Flash <laughs> was legal. Um, correct. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's the last sort of a uh, broad category that we have here. Um, I think I actually got through most of the stuff that I got. I got my Timden fetches rants off, so that's pretty much a satisfaction for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah we, anything else that, that you want to... Surpass the minimum requirements for an Into the North episode. Reed got yeah, exactly. Both Timna and fetches this stuff. Wow. <laughs> Great one. I mean, Very yeah, I guess the, the, only, the, only, uh, the only last thing to consider is, you know, have we, have we successfully walked the line and managed to avoid, uh, bothering anyone by you know just approaching this from an abstract sense, or have we just pissed everyone off by not acknowledging <laughs> yep. that what they think is clearly the best card in the format is the best card in the format? And then to add another axis to this, did we cross the line of making the decision-making process on this and, like, talking through all of the decisions so abstract that it's completely useless, or is it at least grounded in reality to a point where it is useful? Huh. Well, I mean, it's I feel like... the use honest, It's the usefulness annoyance scale, is what we'll call that one. Honestly, I feel like this discussion is actually, like, useless, sort of, by definition. Like, I, I don't oh, sure. think of this as, That's like... Fair. I, I think people think it matters and like yeah. it actually doesn't at all in yeah. my mind yeah. like it's it's an interesting academic exercise and like it's useful as a tool for like understanding how people think about things and maybe how you think about things and mm -hmm. your you know biases but uh like i i don't actually think it, like coming to an answer is like not the point of asking this question yeah yeah exactly it's the decision making and uh, everything leading up to that point cool um so that is the best card in the format um all of that all all that put together you synthesize all of that and that's the best card in the format i mean it's um, just it's storm crow, right <laughs> yeah obviously uh I'll throw a. I'll I'll just I'll just call it Timna for now, just to make people angry and to oh, leave a leave a capstone on it. I feel like we almost <laughs> got away with it. Almost. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so that's our main topic. Um, and then I'll go through a couple of things that we're just not going to do because we don't have people slash we don't have content. But I'll call them out anyway so that you guys know what's happening for other episodes. Um, don't have a gut check this episode, but uh, we encourage you to. Uh, participate in the gut check channel and discord because it's a great source of both engagement and just seeing what people actually you know if people agree with our opinions at all because it's great to, to actually have some amount of just assurance that we're not living in the matrix and we're not just having like all of our opinions catered to by the giant ai in the ceiling <laughs> um no it's and then we've successfully you know stifled we've just pushed ah yes but, yeah gotcha it's... right <laughs> yeah um so go tell and us then, how much you agree with us in the, in the gut Exactly. Uh, and then we also uh, are not doing a listener question this week, but uh, if you want to submit listener questions, feel free. You can uh, go to the Discord, and we have a listener question submission channel for uh, both the general public and for our patrons. Uh, our patrons get priority for listener questions, so we'll always try to answer those ones first or answer those ones uh, as soon as possible. Get those ones answered, but we're more than happy to uh, answer any uh 
stuff that you want you you think uh would make an interesting uh, answer on the podcast or an interesting question for the podcast but yeah that about wraps it up for this episode um if y'all would like to reach out to us with any questions comments or concerns you can contact us on twitter at into the north pod via our email at into the north podcast at gmail.com or on our discord server for which the invite uh is in the description for this episode an extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work toward improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a patron, we have patreon.com slash into the north podcast, also in the description of this episode. Thank you as always to the band Fox Cadre for our lovely podcast music and to Nate's Lover for our equally lovely podcast logo. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Have a good one.